get sick on this retreat, you can always borrow this teddy bear. It's from Harvard Medical School. It's got a proper equipment on. It's even got a mask on. It's the only one who has to wear a mask. The Harvard Medical School teddy bear. So is this all the people who are actually here right now? Is there any... Is there anyone not here? <laughs> okay. So again, welcome to uh, this retreat. Uh, we didn't have one of these retreats last year because of the COVID and stuff. So it's nice of you to nice to see you all. And also, uh, for those of you who haven't met me before, uh, my name is Ajahn Brahm. And what does Brahm mean? B. Buddhist. R. A. H. M. So I remember when somebody, I was answering a telephone call and they said, How do I spell my name? And that's how I spelt it B R A H M. But also, um, again, that's just the name. I've, as many of you know, if you haven't met me before, uh, this is my 48th year as a monk. So I've got two more years before I can retire. Can I? No. no. <laughs> but anyway, it's nice to be able to teach, and especially to teach uh, meditation. It's the most beautiful thing about life, is a peace which you can get in meditation. Oh, I'm sorry, please find yourself a seat. Yeah. And it's certainly what made me a monk. I couldn't believe just how peaceful and joyful and meaningful meditation can be. Oh, there's more people coming in. Yeah, please come in. And please find yourself a comfortable seat. Okay, so there are more people coming in. Maybe I started too soon. Okay, okay, I'll just wait for a few moments then. How many of these are coming in? And where are these all from? Most of Singapore. Okay, excellent. Okay. Please come in, find a nice seat, and relax. Again, in this room over here, you don't need to wear the mask. Uh, the mask was only required in the kitchen and in the dining room. So over here, I can see who you really are. <laughs> it is true that sometimes when people wear masks, and they wear uh, beanies on top of their head. Sometimes it is difficult to find out who you are. I just look in your eyes, and if you're wearing glasses, again, that hides your eyes. I don't know who you happen to be. But anyway. And you know, to let you all know that you know, I've had four vaccinations against COVID, and then the last one was only a couple of weeks ago. 
just, you know, because it's travel time. And so, and I've never actually had the COVID. So I still have those vaccinations anyway. But one thing which is really weird about those vaccinations, I just really still can't believe just how sharp those needles are. And getting uh, bitten by a mosquito or a march fly they have here is much more, you can feel those, but the mis these um, injections you have, you hardly feel them at all. And there was no reaction afterwards. In fact, after a day or two, I didn't know which arm they injected me in. I had to look to see, <laughs> see which one it was. And so, one thing to let you know is that, you know, through your meditation, it's amazing just how your health can improve. It was the last time I was admitted to a hospital was over 30 years ago, 31 years ago. During the range retreat here, I got very um, tired, exhausted. I'd even had dreams that you know, going from my hut to the hall in Bodhinyana Monastery, I dreamt I couldn't make it. And I dreamt many times of making it halfway, sitting down, not being able to get up, and even when the rain came, I was not able to you know, move myself. And that was just like the dreams, but the reality of the day was just the same. I had almost zero energy. So at that time, one of the doctors who would look after us, he was a Sri Lankan man, and so he said, I want to admit you to hospital for just for six days, just to make sure I can do tests and find out what's causing this, make sure you're okay. Now there's one problem with that, it's actually two problems with admitting me to hospital. Now, the first was that when I got there to check in, the person on reception said, have you brought your pyjamas? And I said, I'm a monk, I don't have pyjamas. And even though I was sick, I never lose my sense of humour, because I told him, I said, it's, it's, either these, it's either these robes or naked, make your choice. You know what they did? They let me wear my robes. But the second thing was, that particular doctor, he was a gynecologist. <laughs> so above my bed in the hospital was three other men in the ward, and the, the strange one, me, and they had the, under Dr. Mendes, gynecologist. <laughs> and I got lots of funny looks from the nurses. <laughs> said, why are you under a gynecologist? He said, well, he's the one who just admitted me to do some tests. But then, you know, after doing all those tests, you know, I felt much better. I think probably I missed staying in the monastery. And so they released me. They couldn't find anything wrong with me at all. And then afterwards, I remember it was during our rains retreat many years ago, in my 17th rains retreat. And then after that, you know, I was happy to be back in monastery and didn't have many duties and started getting my meditation back on track. And I was surprised just how powerful the meditation became after emerging from hospital. 
And after one incredibly nice meditation, I went to see the former abbot at the time. He was Ajahn Jakara. And I told him about what I'd experienced. And he said something very profound. He said, I don't think you'll be sick evermore. And that was true. That was the last time I was sick. And so for the last 31 years, you get a bit sniffs sometimes or a little coughs, but nothing which is very debilitating at all. And you know, from that I've always you know, really understood you know, personally the power of meditation for your good health. I know there's another doctor here and who's our local doctor uh, in Serpentine Jaradao. And it's wonderful actually what this meditation can actually do. I was just making a talk for the monks last Wednesday that sometimes in your meditation you may have what we call hot spots in your body. I don't know if any of you have, have had those. You're sitting here nice and quietly and it's a part of your body, any part of the body, feels abnormally warm. Not unpleasant, but you know, much warmer than the rest of the body. And sometimes people haven't experienced that before. And if that ever does happen, those hot spots, you can find out afterwards there's always some healing going on in that part of the body. It's as if, you know, I'm a, a Westerner, but, you know, we have the, uh, the Indian idea of winds going through your body in the Chinese, you know, the chi. But it's like the body's energies flowing through you. And if there's part of your body which does need some healing, sometimes those energies focus in one place and you experience it as great warmth. And it's happened so many times that people with injuries, and especially the first time I noticed this with people who've had car accidents. And because they've had those accidents, very often they get these hot spots in their shoulders or in their back. And this one lady said, oh, she had really weird hot spots in her back. I said, what's going on? And straight away I asked her, when did you have your car accident? I remember this because she said, I haven't told you about that, Ajahn Brahm. Yes, you have got psychic powers. <laughs> so I decided, so it's not psychic powers, it's just the experience I've had as a meditation teacher. She said, and she said she had this very bad car accident. She had whiplash and she you know, had surgery and had uh, all sorts of therapies, but there was still some tightness and tension in her back. It's only when you let go and you allow your body to relax, it's only then that those energies have a chance to flow to where they're needed and do their job of healing those parts of your body. And because that happens, you just, how you experience that is feeling hot spots in your body. So if anything like that happens in your meditation, wonderful. Just enjoy it, and you always feel much more relaxed afterwards, far more at peace. So that's one of the reasons why the people who meditate a lot and meditate deeply are often very healthy, weirdly so. 
not only that, of course, I, I'm just, I should be talking about something else, about what we're doing on this retreat, but now I'm into it. That quite often, that sometimes I do suffer colds, sometimes hay fever as well. But there was this one occasion when I was invited to um, Korea, South Korea, and it was to do a blessing of a, you know, a, a little walk up in the mountains. It was the area where they were going to hold the Winter Olympic Games a few years ago. And so they invited three or four monks. I was one of them, Ajahn Ganha was one of the others. And the third monk, uh, he was one of the senior monks from the Jogjay order. And they wanted us to just to do a, a meditation walk, just on this, up in the mountains. And that day it was minus, 20, minus 16 degrees outside, and there's snow everywhere. And uh, Ajahn Ganha was ordered by his doctor not to go. So it was only eventually two of us, myself and this leader of the Jogjay order. And this leader of the Jogjay order only had three fingers. And I asked him why. And it was translated as a, a practice, which I would not recommend, was actually to hold his fingers in front of a, on top of a candle flame until he burned them. So they had to be removed. So was, that's very tough. I don't know any of you would do that, just deliberately, uh, just to meditate or overcome pain. But anyway, when we were walking in the snow fields, that I just had my sandals, the same type of sandals which I wear every day, the Birkenstock sandals, but never any socks. I just don't wear socks. So I was just out there in the snow, working, you know, just wearing sandals and bare skin. And then after a while, I recall all of these, it was, it was televised, all the cameras, the, they were pointing at my feet. So, you know, imagine you have, like, somebody making, a, doing some news broadcast, and they're all walking, you know, trying not to bump into you, with their cameras on your, on your feet. What on earth am I doing? Why aren't you wearing socks? Because so, I don't need to. And sometimes even in very cold weather, you know, we can use the power of our mind just to overcome any problems there. But then afterwards, uh, I was supposed to be interviewed, again on live TV in Korea, and then I started getting the cold. You know, when, you know, the, um, what's actually the right name for it? I, keep, I wasn't ever taught a medicine. You know, the snot. What is the correct word for it? Mucus. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Mucus started dripping down from my nose, and the eyes started watering, started coughing. And you had an interview in front of a TV camera in half an hour. It's, I'm really quite amazed just what the meditation can do. When you really need to, you just sit there, focus, 
let things be, really relax. And what happens is everything just heals itself up. So after half an hour of meditating, I went down to that interview and there was no sneezing or cold at all. Sometimes the medical benefits of meditation are huge. Sometimes even I can't believe exactly how it happens, but it does. So anyway, welcome here. And uh, when you are meditating, whatever physical difficulties you may feel, a lot of them is just a healing process happening. So don't need to be concerned about anything. And number two, while you're here, the type of meditation which I teach is a very soft meditation. I say soft because I've always found that the most effective. As many of you know, I was a student of Ajahn Chah. It was Ajahn Chah who taught me that the leaves on a bush or on a tree only move because of the wind. And if the wind stops, the leaves keep on moving, but less and less and less, until the leaves become perfectly still. And he said, because that's the nature, he called out the, the nature of the, uh, the leaves is to be still. We will call it these days a default position of the, the leaf would be stillness. Someone has to shake it or brush past it or the wind will make it move. And he said that's the same as the human mind. The human mind, its default state, is to be perfectly still. It only moves because of the winds of wanting something or wanting to get rid of something, of controlling. And he said your job Sorry, itchy here. Your job as meditators is to make sure that when you do sit down, you don't want anything. You let go of all aspirations, all goals. And as I put it to the Koreans the last time I saw them, there's about 6,000 members of the Jogji order, I said, your job is to relax to the max. It was a slogan, but it was a powerful slogan. And I keep on making that one of the core parts of my own meditation. As I practice myself, that's how I teach you. And first of all, to relax your body to the max. If your body is hurting, if it's tense, any tightness there or any sickness, it makes it not impossible to get into deep meditation, it just makes it more difficult. So to help you, we try and make sure we meditate comfortably. That is one of the reasons, if you haven't been here before, why we have so many chairs in this meditation hall. If you feel your body is tight, aching, Please make use of those chairs. Uh, we haven't got it yet, but I think one day we'll have to install 
uh, seat belts on those chairs because sometimes people are so sleepy. <laughs> we don't want them to fall off. And we do have some of the chairs with the armrests. So it means if you nod this way, you won't fall off and injure yourself. So please make sure you make use of those if it's more comfortable for you. And even the, um, the mats, we've got lots and lots of cushions. And if you want some of those cushions, please make use of them. Actually, you can't see many of the cushions here. They're usually just kept outside. Make yourself comfortable. Don't go too comfortable. Please don't bring your beds in here. <laughs> as long as you're reasonably comfortable. And if you find, if you care for your body, you find what you're actually doing, you are practicing the middle path to avoid the extremes of things which tire out and exhaust your body. That's the meaning of Atta Kilamatana Yoga. Kilamata means tiring. Make yourself exhausted physically and mentally. And also you don't indulge in sensory pleasures. You keep things nice and simple. There's more pleasure to be had in the peace of meditation than anywhere else. So you don't torture yourself. And also, one of the other things I would say, please don't be afraid of the happiness of meditation. Other happinesses be afraid of. But the happiness of meditation, the happiness of the mind, the Buddha said, is not dangerous. In fact, one of the quotes, I'm sure I'll say it again, from the Buddha, that anyone who indulges, and that's a pretty good, accurate translation, in the pleasures of meditation, can only expect one of four results. Those four results of attaching, indulging in the pleasures of meditation are stream winning, once returning, non-returning, and full enlightenment. That's what we're supposed to get into. So there's no dangers there. So number also just when we are meditating, please look after your body. Sleep enough. Now one of the, um, I'm going to have to go back after the talk to Bodhinyana Monastery, it's still the rains retreat. So part of the rains retreat, we make a vow where we're gonna spend the next three months and that was over in Bodhinyana. So after this talk, I go back to Bodhinyana and I will walk over here in the morning, just after dawn, to be with you for the morning meditation. But I will make sure that I sleep well enough because the last thing you want to see is a monk talking about deep meditation <laughs> who starts to nod. But what we need to do is to make sure we sleep enough. Not too much, not too little. And I say this especially for some of you who have come from overseas. Singapore is the same time zone as Perth. So you can't use jet lag as an excuse. <laughs> but some of you have come from 
the US, is that correct? And other far off places. I don't know when you arrive, but you will have jet lag. So please look after your bodily health. If you try and push your body too much, and the meditation is too much of a battle, you will actually psychologically almost damage your reputation with meditation. People will feel that this is something you have to fight to achieve. And that is almost like traumatizing yourself. Honestly, I always say that meditation is so easy and so gentle and so happy. Too often, look, the first time I went to Malaysia to teach meditation, I could not believe that people said there was a big problem with meditators and they called it samadhi headache. And that just really shocked me. I said, look, samadhi meditation is what we do to get rid of headaches, not to get them. <laughs> and I asked them what they were doing. And one of the things they were doing, they were forcing their minds so hard. But even worse than that, to understand the cause of samadhi headache, I'm going to take my glasses off and I'm going to meditate with my eyes open. Because very often people say they should meditate on the breath. And so, if you are very careful and you're very precise, the Buddha said to meditate on the breath, not on the nose, not on the belly, but on the breath. But many people are giving really false instructions and so they actually focus on the tip of their nose. I don't know if you can see me if you're close enough. With my eyes open, my mind is going to focus on the tip of my nose. Whatever my mind looks at, my eyes just automatically look at as well. So, I'm going cross-eyed. And if I maintain this position of my eyes for half an hour, I get a tension headache across here. That was the cause of samadhi headache. Forcing their mind to focus on something, thinking they'll get something positive out of that. So, just on that point, if you do breath meditation, the Buddha said to watch your breath. Not your nose, not your belly. So, he teaches to novices who never meditated before, close your eyes, watch your breath, breathing in, out, in, out, in, out three times. I don't teach them how to do this. You've been breathing all your life. Surely you know how to do it by now. I want you to just watch the breath rather than your nose. And I ask people, okay, open your eyes now, any problem? I say, no, no, it's easy to watch three breaths. They don't watch the nose, they watch their breath. It's different. It's far more relaxing. And it means that just wherever the breath happens to be, that's where you watch it. And so you don't locate it in your body, or on your body. And I never realized the power of that little change between watching your nose or watching your breath. Because I never located it anywhere on my body. I just knew the breath was going in, I knew the breath was going out. It did mean that my awareness of my own body disappeared much more fast. I was aware of my breath, 
but not aware of my body. And part of the purpose of meditation is to transcend your body. So to be aware you can't feel it anymore. This body is always an irritation. If you want to prove this, you just look at all the people in this room. How long can you sit perfectly still? You see, you just have to uh, wink your eyes to actually lubricate it. You have to scratch this, move that. Sometimes I look at people when I'm giving a talk, seeing all the times they move. Why? It's because your body is always irritated. But when you meditate, when you can let go of the body, your body is still at last. It doesn't move. It's not irritated, it's just looking after itself quite happily. And this is one of the things you notice. Try to take your awareness away from the body, onto the breath, then away from the breath, into the mind. It's a basically a, a quick summary of what meditation is. In order to be able to transcend the awareness of the body and the five senses and go towards the breath and then to the mind, the breath becomes like a stepping stone in the middle of the river. So anyway, that means you can have some really incredible meditations. I say incredible because for some of you who haven't experienced these things before, it just happens. It's quite easy when you let go. So. Why can't we let go? Fear sometimes. Fear is actually more powerful than attachment. Actually, attachment causes fear. But the fear of you losing control. So many of you know me for so many years. Uh, please have that trust and that faith that this actually works. You don't need to be afraid. Please take that little step just to sit down and relax the body and allow it to disappear. Allow the breath to disappear when it's time for it to disappear. Recently somebody said, these were people on the retreat for the three months, that they were sitting meditation, getting nice and peaceful, and then their breath vanished. Ah! I'm going to die! I've never had anybody die on a meditation retreat. Never. And I don't want to break that record. And I've been teaching meditation for many years. <coughs> so please know you're not going to die. Trust your lungs and your body. If it needs to breathe, it will breathe. If it can just leave it alone for a while, the body will know when to breathe next. Trust it. What that means is you can let go of control. When you let go of control, things can be very peaceful. So anyway, I keep on saying I'm not supposed to talk about meditation, but just about what's going on here. But I just love my meditation, that's why I keep talking about it. So it's like sometimes people have a new kid or a new grandchild, and they can't stop talking about it. my grandchild, if you like, say some deep meditations. But anyway, when you're here, try and you know, 
keep the precepts as best you can. Somebody asked me to make sure I mention the precepts. If you can't keep the eight precepts, keep the five precepts. If you can't keep the five precepts, keep the two precepts. Can you all keep the two precepts during this retreat? The two precepts are never doing anything which harms another being. Never do anything which harms yourself. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty logical and reasonable. Don't do any harm. And when I, years and years ago, when a group of kids came to our first centre in Magnolia Street in North Perth, before we moved to Nolamara, and the kids were brought there by the teacher. They wanted to know something about Buddhism, especially some of the virtues in Buddhism. And so I taught them that, you know, the two precepts. Never do anything which harms yourself or harms anybody else. And then I asked them, just what sort of things harms others? And straight away, you know, because they were little kids, you know, punching or stealing. I said, is anything worse than punching? I said, oh yeah, okay, killing. And those were the first two precepts they got very quickly. And you know, even the third precept of no sexual misconduct. Even in those days, some of the kids, they were from a, like a poor school, you know, their parents had got divorced. And I always remember one of the kids saying, well, what's wrong with that? I wasn't making a judgment, I was just trying to, why do you say that so bad? And this little kid said, well, you know, when my mummy and daddy were staying together, and when my mummy scolded me, at least had my daddy to get a hug from. But now they live apart. I've only got one parent you know, to, to give a hug. And when I fall out with them, I'm in big trouble. Simple things like that from kids, just how important it was you know, to have, if at all possible, you know, two parents to look after them. And then, of course, I asked them about what else is bad. I was really surprised at how many of those kids knew about the dangers of drinking alcohol. They didn't know much about drugs, but sometimes their parents or their father would get drunk, and they, they hated that. I told this story to a few people in Bodhinyana Monastery, we have another monastery down in Albany. And in order to make the Buddhism down there and the meditation, you know, more appropriate for the local community. So the local community actually knows what Buddhist monks are. The head monk down there, Venerable Mudu, you know, he joined the local progress association, the local community group, who meet together regularly to discuss things. So he went down there one day and they said, oh, today is the AGM. They're electing a new um, president. And of course, these were Australians. They all had beers in their hand. This is what Australians do. They drink a lot of beer. And so, and so uh, the president said, well, we're going to have a... a a meeting now, how to elect a new president. 
And so the ex-president said, I hereby nominate Mudu, the monk. They knew he didn't have any BS. And so he put him in a spot. You always want to support the local group. And so sometimes, what do you do next? And he was very bright, this venerable Mudu. And he said, okay, but if you make me the president, the first thing I'll do is, I will do as a president is to ban all beer in these meetings. And he said, all the, the locals there, the Aussie workers and goodness knows what they were doing, they were holding their beers and they all fell silent. And afterwards, in harmony, they all chanted, Boo! <laughs> and he wasn't elected. <laughs> Very smart to get out of a difficult situation. But also, they realized that you know, his joviality and fun, without criticizing others, he was making a point for, you know, for himself. And they really respected him for that. So he still was you know, a member and, and very well known down there. So it is a problem if we take alcohol on non-medicinal drugs. So please, when you're here, you don't need those things to be happy. I haven't taken any alcohol or non-medicinal drugs for 48 years, no, more than that, 50 more years. To me, I still remember when I used to go to the Thai temple and the Thai, yes, okay, please, the Thai monk there said, you've been coming here long enough, it's about time you took the five precepts. And this is true, honest. I asked him, what are the five precepts? When he told me them, being an arrogant young man, I was maybe 18 at the time, I said, Sir, I don't need to take those precepts. I've been keeping them for quite a while now. You discovered them yourself. To me, they were just common sense. So anyway, those were precepts. Because so, it's not harming yourself, not harming others. So at least you can take that much. And not harming yourself means not pushing your body too much. If you do feel sick, don't be embarrassed. You know, you know what I've said many times, and I hope our local doctor here knows that if any monk comes to see you and says, there's something wrong with me, doctor, I'm sick, please tell them off. That's not what a Buddhist monk should say. They say, there's something right with me, doctor. I'm sick again. <laughs> Don't stigmatize sickness. It's part of the way the body deals with problems. And same with yourself. If you are sick on this retreat or if you're really tired, please take a rest. I'm very proud of the gentleman who needed to cough and he went outside to cough. He wasn't embarrassed about it, but I'd be even more proud of him if he coughed in here. There's nothing wrong with coughing, just how the body deals with irritations. Come inside now, please excuse me, but I was just talking about you. <laughs> if you need to cough in here, you can cough in here as much as you want. Don't be upset. There was, on this one retreat, there was a gentleman, and whenever he meditated, he would breathe really loudly. <laughs> through his mouth. 
and the first day, you know, we have the opportunity to ask questions, had all these questions in the box. Ajahn Brahm, could you please tell meditators to breathe quietly? When you think about it, it's a stupid question. But anyway, so many people ask this. So then I made that announcement. So that gentleman has got a big tumour in his sinus. He's got sinus cancer. He's, he came to see me first of all, maybe I should have told you. But he said his doctors have given up on him. And he's, just, he's not even a Buddhist, but he knows that meditation can sometimes help. So he's come on this retreat to see what can happen. And once I told him that, there was no more complaints about him at all. People were so kind to him. If you need to cough or to breathe loudly, please do so. You're not doing that on purpose, it's just nature. The nice story about that was at the end of the retreat, he got nowhere. You know, there's still no recognizable sort of progress in his meditation or in his cancer, it seemed the same. But I will never forget him running after me as I was getting into the car to go to Sydney Airport to fly back to Perth. Ajahn Rav, don't go yet. What happened? And he said, on the very last meditation, he was sitting in the hall and he heard a popping sound. And he could breathe through his nose, just for one minute. Somehow or other, that tumor had shrunk. And it was real. He was really excited, but it was only for one minute. And I said, you know, what I always say, please carry on. But I really thought that he'd left it too late. But a few months later, again in Sydney, it's an absolutely true story, I'm not exaggerating. I saw this other gentleman, and he said, do you remember me? And please don't ask me that question, because I do see so many people. And I said, no, who are you? He said, I'm that guy. The guy who had the sinus cancer. And you couldn't recognize him because when you have a cancer, it just really debilitates your body, you lose your muscle strength, and you look pretty weak and sick. He said, I'm in full remission. I just carried on meditating like you taught us. There's no more tumor. It's such a nice story. And he said, now I'm spending the rest of my life, however long I've got, teaching other people how to meditate. Beautiful. So these things, actually, they do actually work. Otherwise, I, I'd feel a fraud telling you. But you have to learn how to relax. Don't be tense. So after a while, we're going to learn just how to relax our body to the max. When you relax the body to the max, the next thing you relax to the max is your mind. Are you peaceful? How much? What makes your body more peaceful? And after a while you learn the art of letting go, the art of being peaceful. And this place is a beautiful spot for meditation. It's much more peaceful than any place you can find in Singapore, honestly. There are no mosquitoes here. Even some of those places in Thailand, 
you find a nice quiet forest and then after a few minutes I don't know why the mosquitoes do that just bite and get it over and done with instead of just warning you <laughs> but we don't have mosquitoes here not this time of the year sometimes we do have a snake here the little do guy but it's too cold for him right now so you put and they're very nice they're, these are Buddhist snakes they don't bite you seen them around for such a long time and they're very kind so don't go around patting it on the head <laughs> but anyway so everything is pretty benign here the only animals you'll probably see is the kangaroos and it's beautiful this time of the year because they've all got joeys in their pouch or what they, the mothers have you see these little heads poking out and they're so cute and if you're lucky you can see the little joeys jumping out of the pouch, bouncing like they've got you know, rubber springs on their, their legs. And this is the, that time of the year they're coming out. So if you happen to see one of those, I just enjoy it. That's one of the reasons why you don't have to be strict and always just be meditating and just meditating, walking meditation, sitting meditation, walking meditation. If you want to just learn how to relax, just even go for a walk. It's a very benign place. But please follow the signs. We do have a sign that's a nun on retreat in one place. And I think every year when you used to come before, we'd always remember getting these calls from our neighbor. Say, so, <laughs> two of your retreatants are at our house. They got lost on a walk. <laughs> please pick them up. <laughs> so you don't have to worry, they know who you are we still come and rescue you. <laughs> but it's a very beautiful place, so enjoy the beauty, because that inspires you. And I did meet the cooks. You know, they cooked, I didn't realize they were cooked on the last time you came here. Yeah, so I know, know those. So the cooks are very nice, and they make you lovely food with love and kindness. And it's a beautiful thing to know that everyone is looking after you. Here. But please try and be quiet. As well as the precepts, we have what we call noble silence. A noble silence means doesn't mean you don't talk at all. I have to confess to you, the first time we had the Singaporeans come on one of my retreats, many, many years ago, not here, but in one of the other retreat centers, the retreat manager said, please never allow them to come back again. That was at Andy's time. They were so noisy, always talking and always on their mobile phones. Fortunately, over here, it's very difficult to get a signal on your mobile phone here. There are places, if you know them, where you can get a good reception. If you really need to, you just follow somebody else who's been here before and you find where those places are. But what do you want to do that for? Please keep quiet and keep the, the place quiet. No need to always be checking up on what's going back, on what's going on in Singapore or whatever. And number two, when you're with one another, no need to go talking too much. So if you see someone else talking, and they're talking too much, here in Australia we have what we call the one finger sign. So you're allowed to give them the one finger sign. 
That's my <laughs> Not the other one finger sign. Because <laughs> when you keep the, the peace and the calm and the quiet, the life becomes so much more sensitive. You can actually feel more and see more and sense more. You don't need to convey any information to somebody else. So that's a beautiful thing to be able to do. However, it becomes noble silence instead of stupid silence. If there's something you need to tell somebody else, such as, you know, like a bushfire, you don't try and mime it. Fire. <laughs> there's a bushfire, come we've got to do some safety. You may smell smoke at this time of the year because people are doing what they call control burns to lessen the fuel load. So if you do smell any smoke, don't go ringing for the fire brigade. It's just coming from a long, usually a long distance away. And you're, you're pretty safe in this place. So uh, just wait for somebody else, the retreat manager. You can always call somebody to see if there's any danger there. But this time of year, is hardly any danger at all. We did have some rain recently, so there's you know, the forest floor is very moist. So we're pretty safe. So you don't need to go be frantic. But if you do see any snakes or anything, you can always tell somebody, look, snake. So that means one or two words is a course is allowable. And the rest of the time, peace and joy the beautiful place we have here. For the, the morning, we do have a meditation in the early morning. Uh, it's wonderful that on the retreat schedule, never said when it starts, but the place is usually open all the time. So whenever you get up, you can always come in here to meditate. At 5.50 we have chanting. We have the books here to do the chanting, the usual chanting. And then we meditate from after the chanting is finished at 6.45. So we'll be here with you for that. And then we have the breakfast time. And after breakfast time, a talk at 8. And then we have, not tomorrow, but the day after, interviews. So if anyone wants a personal interview, please, if we can, make it about meditation rather than about life or your relationship problems. I'm not a marriage counsellor, I'm not a financial counsellor, I'm a meditation teacher, so please keep it to meditation if you can. Otherwise it goes on and on and on and on for hours. And then uh, after that, uh, we have a, a lunch. Yeah. But I will usually take lunch over in Bodhinyana Monastery. The reason for that is because I need to keep contact with uh, one of my other responsibilities all the monks and, and the people who come from the Buddhist Society of Western Australia. But I'll be back after lunch. We have the... Uh, we asked you what you want to do after the questions and answers in the afternoon, three till four. And at four o'clock, many of you asked for suttas. So I'm going to... Suttas are teachings of the Buddha. So I'm going to do one of those uh, tomorrow. Yeah. And what I'm going to teach tomorrow is what's relevant, it's very simple, the Anapanasati Sutta. But I'm also going to teach that with an introduction, a story why the Anapanasati Sutta was taught.
and I will print out a couple of copies for you if you want it, but if, if many of you want your own printed copies, it's a lot of paper, and so I prefer you just listen. Sorry? You sure? Okay. Very good. But if that doesn't work, please let me know afterwards. And then we can print it the next time. And then we'll see how that goes and what suitors to, to read out afterwards. I want to make sure everything is relevant for you. If I sometimes you teach too high, it's interesting for me, but for other people, no. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we didn't ask them. I didn't ask them, so just tell them. <laughs> this is Kim Jong Un style. <laughs> so, okay, well, if, is that okay? The alternative was to have guided meditation from four to five, or Sutta class. Shall we ask it again then? Have a quick vote, or we'll do Sutta class first? You can do your Sutta class first. First, okay, yeah. And then afterwards. If it's too deep or it's just you've heard it all before, then we can do a guided meditation instead. So please give me some feedback. Okay, and then in the evening another talk. Oh yeah, yeah Q&A in the evening, yeah. So it's important, even the Buddha said, it's not just teaching, it's allowing you to uh, ask questions as well. It's, it's, it's called that Dhamma Sakacha you'll be able to discuss. So if you have any questions, you can, what we usually do, write them in a little box there and put them in the box and then I'll answer them in the evening for you as best I possibly can. So sometimes there's a lot of free time for you on these retreats. When you ask, when you want to know what should I be doing, what I tell the monks is ask your mind, mind, what do you want to do? Ask your body, body, what do you want to do? And having asked that question, you soon become very sensitive. You find out what your mind needs to do, what your mind wants to do, your body and your mind. You become friends to your body and friends to the mind. I always realized the reason why, as a young monk, my mind would wander off in meditation, because it was trying to escape from me. I wasn't, a, I wasn't treating it like a friend. But when you treat your mind like a friend, it never wants to run away from you. You're just enjoying each other's company and having a good time together. That's why many of you, which I've known for such a long time, I see you and it's nice to see you. It's like, I don't want to run away from you. But I realize I have to let you go to get a rest. So I'm not going to maybe stay too much longer. But anyway, welcome everybody to China Grove, and I wish you a very peaceful, happy meditations here. Sadhu! Sadhu! <laughs> Sadhu! Okay, we'll improve on that later on.